Welcome to Yotpo Live, featuring conversations with top D2C leaders. On September 12th at Yotpo's conference, Destination D2C, Rebecca Minkoff, founder of her namesake brand, sat down with Hilary Milnes of Vogue Business to share insider tips, industry trends, and much more. My name is Hilary Milnes. I'm the features editor at Vogue Business, and I am joined by Rebecca Minkoff. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, and thank you guys for staying. I know it's post 5 happy p.m. Hour. now. Yeah, <laughs> the happy hour session. So, Rebecca, I wanted to start with the news, the latest announcement that you guys had during your New York Fashion Week presentation, which is that you're launching a plus-size collection in partnership with Stitch Fix. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you chose Stitch Fix as a partner and figure that that was a good step for the business? Totally. So we've been working with Stitch Fix since 2017 and working with them on all of their vast insights on customer profile, fit. And so when they came to us with this opportunity to launch inclusive sizing, we knew they were the right partner. Uh, whether you're petite or you go up in size, it's not uh, something as easily as grading up. And we knew that if we're going to talk to this customer, we need to make her feel beautiful and fantastic in what she's going to wear. So we were able to sit with the team, work very closely, mm -hmm. and they actually did the fitting so we could make sure that we pulled in all of their customer data, all their fit comments, and really made sure that the styles we offered were ones that their customers wanted. Right, and they're such a data-driven company. 100%. Um, how do you, did you figure the customer data into that strategy? Did you see a need for, for that type of sizing for, for the brand, and how are you using customer data to make those decisions? So we've known that there's been a desire from our customer to give her that for a long time. And I think as a company, you know, you have to make extensive investments in order to make that world come to life. And we didn't want to do it and do it wrong. Right. Um, and I think that we were saying, let's wait until we find the right partner who can bring this to life and make sure that we hit all the touch points to make sure it's a beautiful product at the end of the day. Right, and I think that insight and knowing you know, what your customer wants, but also then figuring out the best way for your brand to do it so it's not you know, just a knee-jerk reaction is, is really important, and especially when you consider how much customer data companies can intake, not just from customers, but from buyers, from editors, when you're working across uh, two different sides of the business with direct and wholesale, how do you absorb what you need to absorb while still making decisions that you feel are right for the business? You know, we try and look as 360 as possible. So we still have a very large wholesale presence. You know, we also have a lot of data from our direct-to-consumer business. Um, and you still have to take into account all the consumer data that we have, you know, all the social listening we do. I think you have to look at it as a huge, you know, piece of pie. And some of it is an art. At the end of the day, you might make the choice based on a gut feeling. But I love having the data, and my team loves having the data there to make sure we're sorting through all of it. Buyers, stylists, editors, customers, and really taking that whole approach. And not one opinion matters more than the other necessarily. Right, because I'm sure it's a fashion brand. <laughs> art, that art, that gut feeling still matters a lot. Um, so how do you make sure the two are complemented by one another and separated? Like, are, are there tools that you use on the um, e-commerce side to kind of get that up and running so you can focus on, on the creative side of the business? Yeah, so some of the tools we use, and I'm sure are probably familiar to a lot of you here, is Dynamic Yield really helps with a lot of our A-B testing, the look and feel of the site, the navigation bar. If we, if we showcase product that's popular versus trending, um, you can also personalize it, so showing people cold weather and cold weather, warm and warm. Um, and that really helps us make sure that the customer is getting an experience she truly feels fantastic about. We use Olapic. 
Um, we've had over 2 million interactions with it. Um, when we started using it, we saw 143% uh, increase in conversion using it, and we actually pull a lot of those images, use them back on our social, use them back to show our customer. Uh, we celebrate you, we hear you, we see you, mm -hmm. which has uh, been great for that. And then our loyalty program as well, which coincidentally is with Yapo, uh, to get our customer really engaged in, in referring friends. Right, and how would you, you mentioned the, the social feed, all of these elements of the customer online experience coming together and, and taking advantage of that. You know, obviously we talk about community so much uh, to the point that I, I like to make every uh, person that I'm talking to define what it means to their strategy because really if you conflate just community with customer, it kind of takes the meaning out of the word altogether. You, you have to have something special that builds a community that isn't just a transaction. So how do you figure, you know, who the Rebecca Minkoff community is and what it is beyond just purchasing a bag on the site or at a Nordstrom? So for us, our community approach is really a hub and spoke, or a wheel and spoke and wheel approach. Um, we have various sections. So we have our MyRM hashtag, which again, our community uses that we are constantly up uploading onto the site and showcasing on social. We have our RM uses, which is the aspirational women that we like to feature, not just as models, um, but their personalities, their influencers. They're also chefs or hosts of TV shows um, that give our customer a view into the Rebecca Minkoff, what she likes to eat, where she likes to go. Then we have the podcast called RM Superwomen where I'm interviewing a lot of these women. And then we, uh, to top it off, we have the more female founder focused community of over 5,000 female founders that I'm not selling a product to. I'm connecting founders, uh, I'm helping ease pain points. And so they're all different types of people we're targeting. But at the end of the day, it all cycles back to our message and our pillars that we have and, and what the brand truly stands for. So no, no matter what, she can take a little bit or, or take one piece of that. Right. And, and what's the overarching goal of every piece of this community? Because it, I'm sure it adds to this brand halo effect. If there's, if there's a customer who's shopping and they interact the brand, with the brand in one scenario, they dig a little deeper, they get a little bit more involved. You know, what, what does that mean for them and their engagement with the brand and what it adds to the experience? And why do you think it's so important today that brands take that extra step? And, and you know, you're doing a lot, so, so what's it all for? <laughs> I hate to use the tired word authenticity, but I think, you know, truly with the podcast is to give advice, helpful tips to women that are just starting out in their career that might be feeling down about launching a business and need that extra lift. And that is the sole purpose of that. So it is content for her, but it creates a community of women that feel like we hear them, we know that, that as a brand, our products are there for these first moments in her life, her first uh, job interview, her first affair, her first divorce, right? <laughs> these, these moments that a woman and her product, she really holds on to. So where we can fit into other aspects of her life and make it richer, I think is the goal with the community. Mm. And if it has a, a lift in sales, great, but the point of that really isn't for the lift. It's to really make our customer feel like she's getting a value beyond the product and that we're listening to her for the other parts of her life that we don't make things for. Right, and I know you mentioned, you know, the word authenticity has to almost be preceded by, I don't want to use the word authenticity <laughs> anymore, but do you think the definition has changed, like how uh, customers judge what's authentic versus what isn't? I, I feel like there's a little bit of influencer fatigue, there's a little bit of perfection fatigue. How do you as a brand and uh, a designer respond to that and make sure that you're staying in tune with what customers want to see from the companies that they're buying from? 
I think we see that the more real, the better, the less polished, the better. Uh, we've completely, as of last week, eliminated most editorial content from our social because she doesn't engage with it or like it. She wants to see real life. And with our video strategy that we'll be launching later this year, she's going to be seeing a lot of real life. So I think um, I'm meeting her with what she wants to see. And it isn't some perfectly curated image of a life that's not real. And I think as this evolves and the platforms get uh, older, that it's going to just be more and more of that. Right. And, and we've talked about this. Rebecca McGough community, the, the spoke in the wheel um, effect. And so we're, when we're looking at the two sides of the business, you mentioned direct, or maybe you haven't mentioned yet, uh, direct to consumer is, is, accounts for how much? About a third. So you're still a majority wholesale brand. Yes. How does all of this help to you know, put the Rebecca Minkoff brand into context if you are shopping at a, at a third party retailer or if you are going to the site? Like, all of this work to create content and, and tap into what a customer wants and things that aren't necessarily meant to drive sales. How right. are you linking the dots and informing you know, what yourself as to who the customer is, which then informs your wholesale partners who the customer is? Like, how has that relationship changed now that you have all these touch points uh, directed with the customer, both content-wise, editorial-wise, and uh, you know, sales-wise? So I think when we saw the rise of D2C brands, uh, for a minute, my co-founder and I felt like we had been caught with our pants down <laughs> and that we didn't, frankly, uh, leverage that, you know, really go into that stronger. And as you have seen with acquisition costs rising, um, that's just something that people are now going back into wholesale. So we view our wholesale partners as true partners. We give them every piece of data point we have on our customer. Um, whether they choose to listen is another story. The ones that have listened um, have done well with our brand. And, and I think it's um, a little bit of a teach and learn, both sides. And you have places in the middle of the country that you're not going to open up a store, that you're not going to necessarily reach digitally. So it's important that she goes into a Saks or a Nordstrom or a Bloomingdale's and sees your brand. And some of these women will only ever touch product. Mm -hmm. uh, but we hope through all the different ways I'm trying to reach her, that at some point she'll come across a podcast or at some point she'll come across, you know, the video series we'll be launching and that'll just make her feel more connected to the brand. Right, and I, I think it, it comes down to this idea that you have to take risks whenever it, it makes sense. And so I guess I don't even know what year it would be that you might have looked at your business and said, do we pull out all wholesale and go full in on direct? Uh, was there ever that turning point moment where you weren't sure just how these wholesale partners were going to fare and, and how you know, customers wanted to shop if it was just consumer to brand. I think we've looked at it every year, and every time you see you know, the shareholder reports, you're like, should we still be doing this? Um, and I think it's, it's about taking the long view and seeing a lot of these D2C brands come back around and have to figure out a strategy or figure out pop-up shops or experiential retail. Um, I think it's key with our wholesale partners, not just giving them customer data, but how we do things within our own stores that work. So if we're going to do an event, this is the best way to do it. Right. Um, and, and bringing experience to these places that might be not used to doing it, frankly, at all. Right. And, and with those experiences, um, I'm, I'm sure you've tested a lot. And one thing that you've tested was the see now, buy now. I, you know, that's just what I call it. It has a lot of different names. But the shoppable runway, essentially. So you had your presentation this past Saturday and everything that customers saw, whether it was on social media or, you know, just photos from the event, that's on sale right now. How did they, how did you say that, okay, that's, that's a trend that I think makes sense for my customers and I'm going to 
you know, go all in on this strategy because this, this actually speaks to me. So we launched this in 2016 and we haven't looked back since. I know a lot of brands have tried this and then pulled back. So for us, all we did is we still have market where we sell to our buyers, where we buy for our stores. We still have press previews where press, editors, stylists, celebrities, influence, influencers come in and pick what they want. So when we're building the show, it's with a lot of data. It's with units that you know are key investment items. It's with units that stylists and celebrities picked as the items they're going to wear that we can then feature later. So we go into the show really smart and strategic and we're showing things that are tried and true. They're still elevated. There's still some items that maybe we made 10 of, uh, in some cases two of, but we know that we're creating something that if you're going to put that much marketing uh, dollars into this, you want to see it translate, at least we do, into sales. So to see the traffic hit our site and then not just fall off because she didn't see what she you know, wanted, I think is really important now because everything's instant. Right, and I'm sure you learned so much throughout that entire process from you know, how, just how product performs. Like how does that new model play a role in your product development from you know, when you're testing things before customers see it with figuring out you know, what buyers are interested in? Like, I'm sure there's an element of, okay, well, the buyers didn't like that, but I feel like the customer might, so let's test that there. Like, it's a very, it's a DTC strategy for the runway. Yeah, I mean, sometimes what we'll do, and you'll probably never notice it, is we'll actually, uh, before, three to six months before we launch a product in wholesale, we'll make about 100 put them up in black and see just what happens. No marketing behind it, no nothing. And we know if the customer goes and discovers it that there's something behind that bag. And we can actually then, with enough time, inform our wholesale partners and say, you know what, we put this bag up, we cut 100 units, it's sold out, you should probably consider buying it. So I think that's a way for people to also feel comfortable with a little bit of the testing we do before a show. Right, where we are right now with the you know, direct-to-consumer sales, these wholesale relationships, as a designer and a brand founder, do you feel much more like ownership over the destiny of your brand? Like, it's, I feel like control it boils down to like being one of the most important things for brands today. Like, if you just make product you think will work and throw it out there, it's it's probably not going to succeed because customers have so many choices or so many options. Um, how do you take that control and, and use it to the best of your advantage? What we do is we actually show our, uh, our buy to all of our retail partners. So we say, this is what we're invested in. This is what we're going to get behind. This is who we're going to get these products to and the people we're planning to work with this season. So that they're fully informed on everything the brand is going to stand for in market. And again, some listen, some don't. And I think you see success where there's synergies. Um, other times it's worked in the reverse, you know, something that a Nordstrom picked out as an exclusive worked really well and then we'll back into that and offer it again as soon as we can on our site. So we like to keep it nimble and I think we're a small team so we can. Right. Um, but just keeping our eyes open to those opportunities. Right. It seems like every decision you have the evidence to back it up. You have, you have the receipts and everything. And we were talking earlier, you, you know, it's, it's 10 years since you had your first presentation um, for New York Fashion Week. Everything that you've learned along the way, if you could boil it down to a few, you know, biggest moments, because I feel like it's been such a weird 10 years for fashion almost. We've seen a lot of, you know, things almost blowing up, a lot of turmoil, a lot of turbulence. Um, you know, what stands out over the past 10 years in terms of like, oh my God moments? 
I think that storytelling uh, is really key and consistency is key. I think, you know, when we look back at some of the errors we've made, we went off and told the wrong story or we weren't consistent in our story and we lost her. And then we make a right move, we get her back or you hire a new CMO and they change the course a little bit. And so I think um, staying consistent has been a, a really great learning lesson and just, you know, knowing who our customer is, not trying to go too high or too low, um, really just talking talking to our customer. Mm -hmm. and, and there's something to be said about having been around for 15 years, um, you know, looking at the brand equity of we have, we've been given permission to try certain things and, and knowing what that lane is. So we've been given permission to use technology to ease pain points with our customer. We've been given permission, you know, if I'm gonna go create a YouTube series and be a designer and seeing all, right? So I think that knowing the best things for your own brand of what you've been given permission to do and then really leaning into those things. Right, with all of that information around who the customer is, where do you find those moments for growth in those areas that you can explore in and expand into without pushing it too far? You know what? I think try pushing it too far. I mm -hmm. think you only learn these things by massive failures, and we have definitely had them. <laughs> what was your biggest failure in the last oh, few years? this is a good one. <laughs> um, I would say one of our first shows, we decided to have a hashtag that could be seen um, at, prior to the runway show starting about the show. So if you were posting that you were at the show, uh, you know, whatever you were saying and pictures would be thrown up. Um, well, we all know what happens when things start trending on Twitter and there was no one watching the feed <laughs> to make sure that certain things were not shown. So I'll leave it at that, that uh, lots of images went up that shouldn't have and we couldn't pull them down in time. Wow. It's not <laughs> how we want to start our runway show with uh, nude, nude images of people. Um, so those are massive mistakes you, you learn. <laughs> you learn from, you, you learn that how wasn't Twitter me. works. That's all I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, the um, risk you've taken in using technology? Do you feel like right now, how is your, you know, I guess, opinion or, or just perspective on the role technology should play in fashion? Has that changed at all? Where do you see it really shaping the next chapter of the business? I think for us, you know, you saw as different technologies emerged, uh, us leaning into it with our retail platform, with wearables. I think now the technology we're trying to harness is stuff you'll never see. So it's working with companies uh, and, and one we're going to be working with in the near future that's leveraging blockchain technology to print garments on demand, cut pieces that are units of one, ship them. There's almost zero waste in the process. So using that technology to create garments, again, with hardly any waste mm -hmm. and giving the consumer a ton of options in that process. So does it seem like technology should almost be more behind the scenes, um, you know, when it, when it comes to how customers are interacting with it? I think for us and the future of it, I can't speak to how everyone wants to utilize it. Um, I think it'll be in those easing of pain points for the consumer, but it's some things that you might never even realize are occurring. Right. And so, you know, we talked about you know, where, where you grow when you know so much about the customer. You don't want to let that, you know, d deter you from exploring into new areas. Um, what, what's coming up for the brand? I know you've had, uh, you know, a pretty recent launch with Stitch Fix. Where, where do you think you're going to go next? Uh, well, we announced last week, it was more of a trade announcement uh, in women's wear, but we'll be launching fragrance in 2020. Uh, my customer is going to be a 
huge part of that journey so that you'll see that strategy rolling out in the new year mm -hmm. um, and then with that coming some other things um, we were shocked when we did a survey uh, of what our customer wants next two categories we hadn't even ever thought about came back and so those are the categories that after fragrance uh, we'll be getting into can you tell us what those categories are no. <laughs> <laughs> It'll have to be a surprise. Um, but I'd love to hear, you know, your, your view having, you know, this, this long experience in fashion, seeing it go through a few different stages, um, you know, we're in, a, we're in a much different place than we were uh, 10 years ago. As we're starting, you know, a new decade, what would be your, your biggest piece of advice to yourself 10 years ago? Um, what do you think is, is the biggest, most important lesson you, you've learned? I think... Uh, a really good friend of ours and consultant said, when you try and take the road that you think or the path that everyone else has followed, uh, you fail. You always fail. But when you take the road not taken or you take uh, a different path, you always win. And so when he sort of gave us examples of um, this is really dating us, but when we had interventions and we were told, don't talk to your consumer, don't work with influencers, they're dirty, right? And we said, we think we're going to work with them. Um, when we had you know, huge wholesalers threatened to pull out if we continued to talk to these people. When we did see by wear, when we did a fashion show, you know, on the street, all these times you take risks and you sort of can't sleep at night. When he pointed out where we had won, it was all those times where we didn't just go the path that was prescribed. So for me, it was like, okay, I can free fall. I don't need the parachute. Mm. And I probably wouldn't, you know, have as many gray hairs as I have now if I had just known that it'd be okay. And I think each brand has to do what's right for them. Mm -hmm. So for us, taking the, the, the old school approach doesn't work and, and not always jumping on the newest, hottest, flashiest thing. Right. And you know, before I let you go, I think that it's a really interesting place to be for, for a contemporary fashion brand because you have fast fashion and, and really quick, cheap companies wanting to pull you know, customers' attention in one direction. You have the luxury houses that, that just kind of sit up here still. How do you maintain your identity and your focus as a, as a brand where you're sitting and positioned without, you know, while still maintaining a freshness at the same time? I think for us, we know that our customer comes to us when she's ready to first get a taste of luxury or accessible luxury, as we like to call it. So we're very clear on what that means. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't want the woman to feel like she can't buy the product and then not pay rent or not eat dinner that night. And so I think that you'll see luxury and they'll, they'll keep doing the, the things they've done for the last 50 years, but I think we have permission within our category to play with just creative ways to market, creative ways to engage. And we're not so old um, as a brand with a legacy behind us that we can't really pivot as needed. And so that allows for a lot more freedom. Right. You can stay nimble. Stay nimble. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.